Hello, hello. Just wanted to give you a quick announcement that this podcast is going on summer break. We'll be back July 7th, Thursday, a couple weeks. That's all. Everyone's doing a little bit of traveling from our team. I've already been doing a lot of traveling, mostly for work. Just got back from a holiday myself, though. And um, you can listen to some old archives. I recommend listening to the first podcast we did with Jerry Saltz, something that I listen to every so often to remind me of the great, wonderful insights about creativity from Jerry Saltz, the Pulitzer Prize-winning art critic for New York Magazine. And you can listen to Recipe Club, where I am now following recipes by the book. Unbelievable. Very fun. But we'll be back. Hopefully, you're able to take some time off as well. Also, sign up for our Discord channel. If you're looking for Major Domo content, go visit our community. It is extraordinarily fun. We have great, great team members. We have great community members posting some funny shit, oftentimes trolling me, which is even more funny. Anyway, you can go to majordomomedia.com to sign up. Also, Momofuku products are available. Some are CPG, some are noodles. We have a growing list of stuff that will be hitting the pipeline soon, but you can buy them not nationwide at Target stores, Whole Foods, a few other locations. And if you don't have access to that and you're just lazy like me, you can go to shop.momofuku.com to get your Momofuku goods. And I just saw on Instagram the other day, um, it's been a few years since we launched our Nike Dunks, and I only have one pair. I'm trying to get some more. <laughs> Cannot believe I only got one pair. But man, that was fun. Hopefully, we'll get to do something like that again down the road. But that's a story for another day. Let's get on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. Yola Tango, if you don't know, is on tour with Japanese Breakfast. Japanese Breakfast just got a Time 100 Award nomination. She's amazing. I'm so happy that she's kicking ass, and she's teaming up with my favorite, one of my favorite bands, Yola Tango. My other favorite band, Pavement's been on tour for a while, the reunion tour, and I've been so busy. I miss them in Los Angeles, and I just haven't had a time to see anything as life gets, again, busy, busy. But um, Pavement is on tour. Japanese Breakfast is on tour. She's on tour with Select Dates with Yola Tango. Go support your favorite artist in any, any form, whether it's visual, musical, written. Good time to support them more than you ever have. But I just got back from Italy. I'm actually currently in Atlanta. I'm in a airport hotel near Atlanta. We are working on a project. It's a TV project. Can't talk too much about it, but it's it's very exciting. It's very fun. It's very different. And uh, I can't say anything more than that or I'll get in trouble. Um, but the team at Major Dome Media, we got a I think we got like four TV projects coming out soon for Hulu. So that's going to be exciting. And I'm traveling. I'm going to be uh, in Las Vegas. I'll be back in LA to visit the boys and the family for a couple days, then back to Las Vegas, then back to Atlanta, then to Idaho for two days, then back to Atlanta, then back to New York. And then, um, God damn it, where else? I don't know. Next thing I know, I'm basically on the road for the next 30 days. So you're going to be hearing me solo on the road uh, as, as much as I can, especially since the team will be going on vacation. So apologies if you're here listening to Noel as many of you are, or if you're here because you listen to Chris Ying and you're the fellowship of the Ying, you just have me. So I'm sorry. 
All right, I'm sorry, I'm gonna do my best, but podcasting solo is really difficult. I have no idea how people like Bill Burr, I mean, granted, he's a, one of the best comedians of all time. He talks just for like two, three hours. Even Stephen A. Smith, who I don't love, talks on his radio show for like two to three hours by himself. It's so difficult. Anyway, I wanna give you a few observations, few rambling observations about travel. First off, a tip. I would not have been able to take this trip with Grace if it wasn't for my in-laws who flew in from Seattle to look after our kids. And um, my only recommendation to some of my friends, or if you are expecting and you're thinking about starting a family and you don't have a great, great relationship with your in-laws, or you do have a great relationship with your in-laws, kiss their ass when as many brown nose points as possible, because you're going to need them. You're going to need their help. So I love my in-laws. I lived with them for about a year during the pandemic. But um, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Just be nice and shower them with love and presence because they're going to they're gonna save your ass uh, one day or many days. Um, when we did the podcast about travel, I talked about rekindling a desire to travel because I've been in a state of, I don't want to say my normal state might be misanthropic, but it's been, I've been jaded. I still think, you know, with all the things that have happened the past few years with my mom passing and just the general state of affairs in my life mentally, it's, it's just not been a good place for me to even think about travel. Um, you, I, I need to be in the right mindset. And oftentimes you're never in the right mindset to travel until you get there. I don't know if this only applies to me and I understand how privileged that sounds. But it's not that I don't want to travel. I'm just so busy with everything else that I never had the chance to even like think about travel. I just couldn't even get out of my own fucking head. Anyway, the moment we got to Rome, everything started to make sense. And I was, uh, I was really, really mad at myself for not being as engaged about it as possible. But I think I was right about not trying to overanalyze anything and keeping an open mind of what was possible. Overall, I just wanted to say that travel and getting there and spending another uh, another a time in another country was a, a, a beautiful remedy for me because it caused me to reevaluate a lot of things. Travel to anywhere always does that. And it's travel when it's not work-induced. I rarely take travel when it's not for work. And to travel just to explore, travel just to to, to spend time somewhere else, to be out of your own fucking environment, that can't happen on, uh, on like business trips and stuff. But when it's on your own accord, time slows down. Time is so much slower. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, I've talked to other people that have traveled when they are like travel traveling and time just stops. You stop looking at your phone so much. You stop checking your email so much, even though you know you have emails. It's just less frequent when time slows down. You can look at the countryside in Europe in a train and everything starts to slow down. It doesn't have to be in Europe. It can be anywhere. And I think by doing that, it's extremely therapeutic. It's a reminder of just how um, insignificant you are in the world, right? And it was a very humbling moment and I enjoyed it very much. It's something that I think I needed to remind myself that like, you know, rel being relatively insignificant Something where you see everybody sort of wants the same thing is a good thing for me. So, yeah, you know, I, I was clearly thinking about Tony quite a bit, and uh, I had amazing food. Getting to go to this wedding was fantastic to see friends I haven't seen in over three years, and that's that's what life's all about in a lot of ways. So I, I was um, kicking myself for not being more open minded to all of it beforehand. So all I was trying to say is sometimes. You need to get out of your own head and travel is the best way to do it. And I had a, it was a nice reminder that it's something that, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do. And, um, if you can, uh, I highly recommend it. It is, uh, it's something I have not done in a while. Anyway, I got some do's and don'ts for my observations for my trip. Um, number one, when I first traveled to Europe, to Italy in 1996, I was 19 years old. I had a Euro pass for like, two, three weeks. I mean, I went through most of Italy. Uh, I went all the way to um, eastern part of Germany. I went to Spain, some of France, Amsterdam, because I was just trying to 
smoke pot and do drugs for sure. You know, it, it was difficult to travel back then because the euro didn't exist. Europe had no unified monetary structure. There was no fiat currency that tied it all together. And um, once the euro was introduced, it was a pain in the ass because it was so much more expensive than the dollar. Right now, the dollar is very strong to the euro. So it's a good time to travel internationally in general. Anyway, what I was trying to say is I got overly familiar with the Thomas Cook Exchange and all the currency exchanges. So when I got there, I forgot to change currency at the airport. And we never did. It's it's crazy. We wound up doing a little bit to leave some euros for, even though you're not supposed to tip, we you know, clearly tipped here or there. Uh, when you're not supposed to, it's just not customary, but I just can't help it. Um, you know, if I'm in a hotel room, I'm always leaving money for for the people that have to clean up, always leaving a little bit of cash for everybody that services us. They may think we're stupid, but I I have to. But outside of changing like a hundred bucks, which basically got us like a hundred euro, which is crazy. I'm just saying, like, if you travel to Europe, you don't need money. You don't need hard currency. In fact, it dawned on me, if you travel to Asia, you don't need it. You need it a little bit more in Tokyo. Tokyo, to me, is still, you still need cash, which is a pain in the ass to get. But China, Korea, it's almost a cashless society already. It was pretty crazy. Maybe you guys already know this. But for me, I have this old mindset like, oh, I need to get cash to buy things, to buy food, to buy gelato, whatever, if I'm in Italy. And it just isn't the case anymore. It's completely revolutionized. And for for me, the last time I traveled in Italy for just travel purposes, it was 1996. So it's something that I use as a benchmark. So it's so much easier to travel. You don't have to, don't, don't, I'm just a suggestion, don't change money. You really don't need to change any money. Um, two, do eat food at Italian airports. Much like Asia, food in airports is fucking awesome. The Roman airport, is so good. If you go upstairs, it's so fucking good. You can get pinza, which is again the Roman version of pizza. You get all the sandwiches. You can get salumi. You get really good espressos. There's a McDonald's there. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So good. So good. All I'm trying to say is why can't we have anything like that? I did walk through the LaGuardia Airport a couple days ago and the Delta Terminal. And you know what? It's a lot nicer than it was. You know, I just flew through Atlanta airport as well. Like, no, not a lot of good options can be so much better. You get to a place like Rome, which isn't even like a great, great airport. It's small, but it's got good food options. It really does. And it's like real good food. I I mean, it's food you want to eat. Does that make sense? It's food you want to eat, not have to eat. Big difference. Um, One more recommendation. If you're flying to Europe from America, and there's a layover. We did a layover in Frankfurt, and it's around an hour or less, or even 90-minute layover or less in that said airport for transfer, I would suggest trying to find another flight or getting your bags and spending one night in that city. I, I just do. I mean, I just had the worst luck with luggage. Um and we decided to pack our clothes in bigger suitcases than to do it all in carry-on. And lo and behold, we got to Frankfurt. We had less than 30 minutes to make the transfer. It was about 1.5 miles because I looked at it on my watch. And we made the flight uh, 1.5 miles between the gates and the terminals. And we made the flight literally with seconds to spare, sweating bullets. I've never heard Grace curse so much in my life <laughs> um, because it was just very difficult. And I was like, I know our fucking bags aren't going to make it. I was reminded about Meet the Fockers where Robert De Niro is yelling at Ben Stiller, like you never check in your luggage. And the fact is just don't check in your luggage, but we did. And we sort of got screwed and felt like a lot of people that we met at the final destination for us with this wedding had their luggage uh, not make the, not make the trip as well. So my suggestion to all of that is If you're having a layover that's less than 90 minutes, definitely less than an hour internationally, and you've checked luggage in, you should not take that flight. Or if you did, you can do that if you have carry-on only. But I will still suggest that it's going to be extremely stressful 
to make your flight, your connecting flight. And that's one of the worst fucking feelings in the world. When everything is moving against you, right? You're, you're fucking running. You're telling the, the flight attendant, I need to get to here. What's this gate? You make a left turn and it's like a mile long walk underground to get to the other fucking terminal. You got all these people in front of you. The That like floating sidewalk thing isn't working. Escalator. It, it's just the whole thing is a fucking nightmare. Nothing is more stressful than that. I know that sounds ridiculous but if you know you know that's just one of those things it sucks i my suggestion now is don't even do it don't do it spend time in the city that you're doing the layover i really suggest just spending one night doing it that's what we should have done we should have gotten to know frankfurt i don't know what the fuck to do in frankfurt but that would have been a lot better than stressing out and figuring out how the fuck we we're going to make our flight and get our luggage i do have a tip for that though i own an apple watch and i have air tags this is not cheap but air tags i think are like 25 bucks don't shoot me if i'm wrong but i bought one for my wallet i bought one for my car keys and i bought one for my suitcase <laughs> because i lose fucking everything the reason i wear an eye watch is because i i can play this tune Press that on my watch, you can find my phone. Again, that saves me at least an hour every week, maybe even an hour every day because I lose my fucking watch. I mean, my phone all the time. It really does save me a lot of time. I lose my wallet all the time and I have a similar feature on my phone. I lose my car keys all the time. And I know that the AirTags have gotten some negative press for crazy stalkers and such, but like, man, it's totally been a game changer for me. This is a perfect example for it. On the luggage, the reason we were able to get them is because we saw the GPS location of where our luggage was in the world. So it was an extraordinary amount of calling and figuring out how to get it, but we got it because there was conflicting information about where it was. And well, we didn't have our luggage for about three days, but we got it. And, uh, you know, it was just nice to know that it wasn't like gone, number one. And number two, it did expedite the process for us. So if you are going to do it and you are paranoid or you're, or, or you're just not lucky like us, get an air tag for your luggage. Yeah. So we, we went shopping for a couple of days to, to, to figure out how we were going to get around, but that was, that was fun. But, you know, I think that's a legitimate tip. If you're going to travel Really, maybe you only need a couple air tags to, you know, you can move one from your car keys to your luggage so you don't have to go overboard on it. But I'm just one of those people that need it. It's like I need sometimes assisted living and, and technology has helped me out tremendously. If you are going to Rome, I'm going to butcher all my Italian because I can't. Uh, Rosoli's is a salumeria slash pasta shop. Uh, my friend Eric dropped off a box of Rosoli for me uh, on the plane. I didn't realize he was on the same plane. but I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. I should have done that. He picked up before he got to the airport all the salumi and all this delicious bread, uh, marinated oven roasted cherries. That was a game changer, man. I, I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect food to bring on an airplane. The only caveat to that is he did have some stinky cheese. It was a, he made me a, a box, like an Italian bento box of the of Rosoli salumi which is a, one of the, the best, best sort of restaurant takeaway shops in Rome. And uh, I didn't make friends on that flight because it smelled so much of stinky, stinky cheese. But man, that's what, that's what food could be on a plane. So fucking good. So, so that tip is on the flight back to America, buy some salumi, probably at Rosoli if you've been. If you haven't been, you should go. Get some kind of like mortadella sandwich and espresso at the cafe upstairs. Eat the salumi and cheese like two hours into the flight. It's so good. It's, it's a pro move. The other thing I, I want to tell you is wine is not cheap in Italy, but it's so much more affordable, particularly again with the dollar to the euro. And there's just no tariffs and there's no taxes. And it's so fucking cheap. I mean, I'm not going to say cheap, but... I drank a lot more wine than I thought I was going to, because again, I don't drink that much, but there were some really nice bottles. I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, 
I I really do, I really like some of the stuff that's on the Slovenian uh, fruily border and just vintages and vineyards that you really never get um, in America. And you'd be surprised, like just a simple trattoria in the middle of nowhere or, or a place that looks like a tourist trap in Rome has a really nice wine list and very affordable. They're not trying to fuck you. And that's another thing I wanted to say is a lot of the meals that I was having in Italy and we ate so well, I feel that they would have been 1.5 to two times more expensive if you had the similar food made in America. Again, I don't know what the reasoning is for that. That is beyond my pay grade and, and understanding in terms of how economics work. But I was like, why is it more expensive? Because it's not cheap. It's just affordable. But I was shocked. I was shocked. And again, I think most of this has to be the fact that the dollar is stronger. So if you are planning to travel, travel now, because I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Um, the other observation is, while in Italy, besides drinking wine, man, I, I just didn't think I was going to drink as much Aperol as I did. I, I tried one day to get drunk on Aperol spritz, and it didn't happen. And I probably had like at least a dozen of them. In like four hours. Just couldn't happen. Has anyone gotten drunk on Aperol Spritz? I don't think it's possible. It's the same feeling I get about Guinness. No one, I've, I've, I've never gotten drunk on Guinness. I've also never gotten drunk on Aperol Spritz. Just doesn't happen. And the Negroni scene. I, I don't understand how anyone drinks Negronis up. For me, I wasn't getting any crazy looks from the bartenders in Rome when I said I would want a Negroni on the rocks with some seltzer. I, I think it needs to be watered down just a little bit just to have a little effervescence. I recommend you guys try it. It's so fucking refreshing. It's almost like a Aperol spritz turned into Negroni. I'm a big fan of spritzers in general. I was thinking about coming up with a new name. Does anyone out there, I should ask John DeBerry, is there like a Negroni spritz? Is that a thing? Because that's basically what I feel like I invented. And I'd like it to be called the Dave. Okay? The Dave. Or in Italian, the Davide. Let's just call it the Davide, the Negroni spritz. But also, like, I, I like drinking Aperol spritz because it doesn't look ridiculous. Like drinking a Pim's cup or a Moscow mule or some cup like that that is a uh, drink like that that is effervescent, light, refreshing. It just is like a normal drink. Very, very refreshing. I, I, I just, I never thought I'd love Aperol as much as I know it's a very Italian thing, summer thing. But, uh, want to move into some of my favorite meals. I didn't take photos of anything. I wanted this trip to be as present as possible. Um, so I didn't take photographs of sunsets, of buildings, of cathedrals, of food. In some ways, I regret not taking pictures of food. I don't have a photographic memory, but I can think, you know, I can remember it pretty clearly about what I ate. But, you know, as I get older, it's not nearly as good as it used to be. So I couldn't remember everything, and that was bothersome to me. But um, I've been thinking about what my favorite meals are. And I used to, when I was younger, make a journal. I'll write everything down. And you know what? Maybe I should start doing that again. But off the top of my mind, these were my favorite meals. In no particular order, but just top of my mind, these are the things coming to my head. One was Vecchio de Roma. And I believe there's several restaurants in Rome named Vecchio de Roma. Because it's like a common name. It's like Joe's Pizza or John's Pizza. Vecchio de Roma, just a simple trattoria, clearly run by a family. I sat down. I, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. And um, by the way, thank you, Evan Funky, for giving us this master list. But this restaurant, I have to say, was one of the best restaurants I've been to in a long time, even pre-pandemic. You know, it's a simple trattoria. I haven't been to a restaurant where all the seasoning, particularly the salt, was perfect. Every dish was perfect. The acidity on every dish was perfect. The texture on every dish was perfect. It was, you know, people always compare Italian food to Japanese food in, ter in terms of its simplicity, and they're not wrong. But this meal tasted very Japanese to me in, in the fact that it was so naked in the, its ingredients while clearly making Italian food and tasting Italian food, the aesthetics to me felt Japanese. And I'm sure if I ate there again, maybe it wouldn't be as good. And I'm sure people that eat there in Rome all the time are like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's just okay. I'm just saying for me, 
I can't speak on behalf of anyone else. And the people that I was dining with, we met up with a couple friends. They all agreed that this was an extraordinary meal. The salad, delicious. We had these crispy fried octopus uh, with chilies, perfectly fried. These tiny squids, perfectly fried. I was blown away. The tartare they had, perfect, delicious. The antipasti, perfect and delicious. Everything was so good. The tomato salad, great. The porcini, delicious. Everything simple, but perfectly well done. That is not easy to do. When I went to use the restroom, I was expecting to see uh, this old master, this old Nona making it. It was this young kid, probably the son of the owner, in a waiter's uniform, setting up the mise en place, getting everything refreshed, all the vegetables, the radicchio, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the arugula, the cheese, the salumi, everything's there in the main dining room because they repurposed the dining room for clearly COVID purposes. So most of the restaurants now outside. And when you have a garmanger station set up, not in the kitchen with a cold counter, with cold refrigeration, and you have to set it up outside its normal environment, you basically have to create a ad hoc kitchen with nothing. And you have to keep it stored cool because it's hot outside. This is just how you have to do it. I marveled at this guy's setup. What I most really marveled at the setup was how meticulous he was at taking care of his ingredients. They were so organized. He had a water bottle to make sure they were spritzed down. He was constantly refreshing the, the, the bain-marie with ice. I'm sure what I'm saying is not easy to visualize, but just understand this. This guy fucking cared about his food he was making, and he probably wasn't even a chef. What was shocking was how perfect this guy, this fucking guy was seasoning his food. It was perfect, genuinely perfect, and I was awestruck. I was like, fuck me, man. This is why you go out to travel. This is why you go to eat. This is why you go to a restaurant that you know nothing about because you can discover something and have your mind fucking blown back. I love this fucking restaurant. I go to actually use the restroom and I peek into the kitchen thinking that I'm going to see again a bunch of, you know, vecchio. It means old, like a grant, like old people or some Italian master or something like that. Wrong. I think it was a guy not, uh, the guy was speaking something thinking it was Albanian. And there were two guys that looked like maybe they were from Southeast Asia, Sri Lankan, and they were making the pastas. The pasta courses were fucking bananas. All simple stuff, and I'm going to butcher the names, Amachiana, and uh, you know we had spaghetti aglio, and <laughs> oh my God, my Italian is so fucking bad. Um, carbonara. Um, yeah, and the Amachiana, you don't have a bucatini. We had it with the the short, short, um, short pastas. Oh my god, my brain is fried. I'm I'm totally jet lagged right now, guys. Um, so apologies if my mind is fucking all over the place. But um, dude, it was so good. The pastas are good, and the best dish I had was two two of the best dishes. One was like a lamb chop that was thinly cut, where it had some of the the, the chop and the belly with just some fried artichokes. Beautiful. The fried cod we had, which is like a classic Roman thing. I swear to God, it was like going to a top tempura in Japan. The crust was, I was like, how the fuck did they make this crust? It wasn't even tempura, but it had a light, beautiful feel. It almost felt like a Heston Blumenthal batter. Like it was a ISI siphon with a vodka batter, but clearly that wasn't, I don't, I don't know. You know, there wasn't room in that kitchen to fucking do anything crazy. And it was perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. It was perfect meal from start to finish. One of the best meals, honestly, I think I've ever had. And what I love about that and the ephemeral nature of that is I could go there again and maybe not get that same meal. I could maybe go there 10 times in a row and get that same kind of meal. That's why I love going to restaurants. That's why you like you you continue to go to a restaurant that you have this feeling because if this was if I live close to it, I'd go there like every day. You want to ride this moment as long as possible. And if you're so lucky enough that moment lasts forever, you just hit the fucking lotto. To have that restaurant that you can depend on is amazing. And uh the best the the very best thing I had was just the 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 chechi soup, the 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 chickpea soup. 
you know, chickpeas are very Roman, also Tuscany. Uh, and I was thinking about a dish that influenced me tremendously by the chef uh, Fulvio Perangelini, who had a re- two Michelin star restaurant called Gambaro Rosa, one of the best chefs of all time. Um, and his dish was a very simple, delicious, thick, flavorful chickpea soup with spicy olive oil and 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 some local shrimp from Tuscany. Iconic dish, a dish that I turned into something else. We put on Momofuku Ko. We reimagined it as a chickpea puree with hozon. So we made fermented chickpeas with hozon, fermented it in the style of miso, and uh, put um, some searchin on it. And it was a flavor that reminded me of Fulvio's dish. And uh, this dish didn't have any of the the, the brininess, the, the salinity from seafood. This was just chickpea, olive oil, and some short pasta. I can't imagine anything else was in this other than the aromatics, the cooking liquid, and the herbs that went into cooking the chickpeas when they were rehydrating and you cooked them in that. A lot of olive oil, the pasta, and the, the local olive oil they were using to drizzle on top. Again, like I don't know how to make food this good with no ingredients. I didn't even ask them, but I just tasted it and there was nothing else. I don't even think they put Parmesan on it. And, you know, I, here I am still talking about this like 10 days later. I love that. That's why I have to get off my ass and go out into the world. It doesn't even have to be travel. To go out to places that you know nothing about, to go to places that your friends know nothing about and just do your own work and keep an open mind. Because you might have a dish that just knocks you on your ass. And this dish knocked me on my ass. Hey, here's another thing. I don't even know if Vecchio de Roma was a fucking super popular restaurant. It seemed popular. I didn't read any tour guides. I knew nothing. I, I just sort of looked at Evan's list and that was, out, that was it. We went in with like no expectations. I think we were better for it. Because for all I know, Vecchio de Roma could be one of the most popular restaurants. And someone listening to this, whether they live in Rome or are, are, are like... Well, no Rome really well. They're going to be like, you dumbass. Of course, it's fucking awesome. I didn't know. And I love the fact that I didn't know. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Look to your left. Look to your right. Yep. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Dave Chang and use Use the code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. That's code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. We did meet up with some friends and Katie Parla, the author, took us to um, this amazing restaurant, her local restaurant. It was on the outskirts. I don't know if I want to name it yet, but um, fuck it. I'll just say it's Da Cesare. (laughs) I think it's okay. It's so far out the city limits. I don't imagine that many people, tourists, are going to go there because it's a it's it's a bit of a bit of a ride to get there because it's more of a residential neighborhood. But according to Katie, who again check out all her books, she's like an expert in Rome too. She lives in Rome, um, and we met with her after she went to a, a a mutual friend's wedding as well. She took us to this local trattoria that was on the outskirts of Rome, very residential. And this trattoria was owned by a couple that started in the 1950s, sold it 59 years later to a couple in 2009. This couple had worked at all the, you know, the top 10 restaurants in the world. You know, the restaurants in Scandinavia, the restaurants in Spain, you know, the places that you wanted to work to build up your CV. And they just sort of decided enough's enough. 
we want to cook the food that we grew up eating in Rome and bought this restaurant. And it's, it's phenomenal. They serve all kinds of antipasti. They've got a huge selection of pasta. You know, they have liver wrapped in call fat. That was delicious. Their Roman tripe was the best version I've had in a long time. Their pizzas were so, so good. It was the first pizza that I had in Rome that wasn't pinza pizza, pinza pizza, pinza pizza is a pizza bread or the bread's been cooked off already. And then you add the toppings and reheat it later. And the desserts, this is just a phenomenal restaurant. And the wine list is fucking sick. It was so good. I was reminding myself again, I was like, why was I fucking being such a jackass about traveling? This food is restorative to my soul. It's so fucking good. And I had things I've never had before. Of all my time having oxtails, I've had oxtail ragu. I've had oxtail sugo. I've had oxtail stuffed in uh, uh, ravioli. I've never had whole oxtail braised in tomato sauce with uh, like, you know, Roman flavors with pasta. And I ate that. I'm like, this tastes Asian to me. Yes, I know it's not Asian. It felt Asian to me. It felt like eating my mom's braised oxtail. It was amazing. To eat oxtail on the bone is one of the most satisfying things in the world. And to do that at a table with friends is one of the best feelings in the world. So I loved it very much. And, you know, to be able to remind yourself, I don't know shit, Dave. You know nothing. Go out in the world and just just have an open mind. It was really, it was a humbling thing and I needed it. It was so fucking good. I will say that at my friend's wedding, we had a vongole. It was one of the wedding courses and it was probably the best wedding dish I've ever had, ever. They also had an amazing wedding cake. So it was great. It's great to have weddings. Great to see friends. And, you know, knock on wood that this whole pandemic is coming to an end. When you can go see your friends, go do so. If you are worried about a friend because you're worried about them, go see them. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was really good. It's, it's, it's these times when you go see your friends that you're able to express feelings that you haven't expressed to them in a long time. And I think that being able to see people, there was a lot of love. There was a lot of gratitude, uh, being genuinely present. So it was a, it was a wonderful time. And, um, I, I was, I'm a, I was very thankful to be there. And I felt like a real dummy for sort of dragging my feet all along the way. Um, I did also eat at McDonald's. I ate at McDonald's. We went to a shopping mall in Rome uh, to buy clothes when we didn't have clothes. And I went to McDonald's. And let me tell you what, McDonald's was delicious. It was fucking delicious. They have like pizza pockets. Very, very good. But it's also super clean. Their coffees are very good there. I know. Don't hate me. I'm going to talk about the self-loathing nature of this in a second. But can I say two things? I can fucking hate them. And Simon says, say, man, that was pretty fucking good. I can hate them because of who they are. I can hate them because what they do to local businesses. But can I still say, man, I think it's pretty fucking good. Um, fuck it. I'll just talk about it now. It's like I, I kept on thinking about Loon Shots with Safi Bacall, where basically, you know, we compare... American Airlines versus TWA. American Airlines was all about efficiency and the system of operations and tweaking things to make the customer experience better. TWA, really being sort of higher-end independent restaurants, was all about sleek sexiness, making it cooler, faster, more ambiance, bigger, better, whatever, more testosterone, as far as I'm concerned, right? American Airlines was just more understanding of how to make the experience better without it being like all about me. You know, it was about the company. It was about like, how do you make it more useful and more practical? So part of me is like, okay, we don't have to go into all the shittiness of chain restaurants and McDonald's, but does that mean we shouldn't study them? Does that mean that we shouldn't say they do some things right? They do a lot of things wrong. We don't have to get into them. The one thing I I write, I want to say is, why does it taste good? Is it okay to say it tastes good? You know, and it's easier to say that about a McDonald's internationally than it is a McDonald's domestically. Here's why. If you tell somebody you ate a McDonald's in India, England, France, China, Japan, Korea, et cetera, 
here in America, people don't get mad. And also people there don't get mad. They don't. They're not like, oh, fuck you. I can't believe you're supporting McDonald's. They're like, yeah, that's good. You know, it's, it, it is what it is. Sometimes you need to do it. KFC is so good in Asia. Domino's is really good throughout the world. McDonald's is really good throughout the world. I, I, I marvel at how they're able to operate on an international level at scale. And you know what? Forgive me if I think a chicken nugget, which is garbage, tastes good. It's not like, I think we, there's a disconnect, man. Like clearly they're doing something right when all these people love their food. But the way I feel like the international people, when you go to Italy or you go to Asia and you talk about chain restaurants and things like McDonald's, no one gets mad. They really don't. I mean, McDonald's in Japan is fucking amazing. It's so good. The service, the cleanliness, the efficiency. Uh, I believe you can still get potato products fried in beef tallow, and that's all the more reason to eat something there. It's not seen as a bad thing. And when I tell people here, it's not a bad thing either. I feel like it's like when you're here in America and you talk about Shake Shack or you talk about In-N-Out, you know, it's almost like, yeah, they're good. But for some reason, we can't even study or say that simultaneous things can be true. I can hate McDonald's for 99 reasons, but there's one reason that's, I can say is also true. I like the French fries or they do have some things that are fucking really good. And if you think about it, like even the filet of fish is fucking good. So I don't know. I'm, I don't have any answers here. I just wanted to bring that up as like something to ponder. The other sort of hot take I have is I've been looking at Michelangelo. I, I was one of those kids that had like those Michelangelo creation posters on his wall in college, I think. And, you know, you take art history class, you learn about, you know, Italian Renaissance masters. And uh, when I did spend time by myself traveling in 1996, I spent more time in Italy at the Uffizi Gallery because I just love Botticelli. I think for me, he's like my favorite. I, I clearly love Michelangelo's sculptures. Uh, he's phenomenal. I can't remember the one that, that was like an unfinished one, sort of looks like a modern sculpture. That's fantastic. I still think Michelangelo's David is amazing simply amazing whether it's a replica or not it's like how the fuck he did that is unbelievable but don't get mad at me if i tell you that let me just preface this we went to the sistine chapel my wife and i we went part of a tour it was packed it was also sweltering hot and humid you see how amazing the vatican is it's its own state no taxes I won't bore you with my thoughts about Catholicism and the Vatican and the Pope. Uh, this is not the podcast for that, but I can admire the beauty of it. And I really want to just see the Sistine Chapel as one of the things I did not see uh, 1996. And you have to, it's like one of the wonders of the world. And I got in there and it was a lot. It's so much more than what you think you see on your computer screen or on postcards or textbooks. It's a lot of shit going on, man. Um, and it's a hot take. Don't kill me. I think I might be the only person that was like, is the ceiling, not that it's not beautiful. Michelangelo is a fucking genius. But the far wall is a lot. The far wall is about the, 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 the revelation of uh, uh, the rapture, right? Where all the souls of the world and it's the judgment day with, with God. It's pretty dark and fucking insane. And, and that's the stories in and of itself. But I'm just talking about the ceiling. That was done at three different times. I think Michelangelo painted two different times. The third time, I think they covered a lot of the nudity on his painting. But the ceiling, though, which is the most iconic, wow, dude, in and of itself is beautiful. But I just I was like, wow, I was shocked at how different it looked on the sides. The sides have the saints and the disciples. Um, Biblical disciples like Joseph and Daniel and stuff like that, and, and uh, I think a couple of the, the 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 big time saints. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is though the side wall, the upper tier side walls were made by like Raphael and Botticelli, and for me, it just was a giant disconnect with the ceiling. I'm not an art history major. I was just like, it just looks cartoonish to me. I sort of said that out loud, and man, I I think um, I almost got excommunicated out of Italy. <laughs> People, people got so fucking pissed. I, I not, I, I'm not trying to disrespect real. I just, just having a conversation. 
it just looks a little, not jarring, just looks a little disjointed. That's all. Why wouldn't it be? It's the whole Sistine Chapel is made by like six different artists over time. So that's my hot take. You know, people hate Guernica. People hate Michelangelo's David. I'm not hating it. I'm just simply saying Michelangelo, one of the greatest artists of all time, genius of the highest order, was just not my cup of tea in person there. I wonder if we're going to leave this in. I'm genuinely scared. I feel like Larry David and there's going to be some kind of fatwa on me right now. I just was like, it's beautiful, but it wasn't, it didn't move me because I would rather see more of the sides of the cathedral. I felt that it was more in tune with the entire vibe of the Vatican. I never thought I'd be talking about this shit. So (laughs) I don't know what the fuck's going on. But my last hot take is this. I think gelato, I love ice cream. I love ice cream, but I never fucking eat ice cream like I eat gelato when I'm in Italy. I eat gelato every day, sometimes two times a day. I don't eat fucking ice cream two times a day. I don't buy ice cream on the road. I don't buy ice cream walking down you know, the streets of LA or New York like a little kid. I do in Italy, in Florence, in Rome. Rome was ridiculous. When we were in Tuscany, there was so much fucking gelato. That to me is like just saying like, do I inherently, my personal belief, like gelato more than ice cream? And I think the answer is yes. And I fucking love ice cream. Okay. I love milk bars ice cream I can get at the stores. I love Haagen-Dazs. I love Jenny's brown butter uh, thing. There's so much great ice cream out there, commercially available. Local ice cream. Ice cream's gone through this crazy renaissance. It's so good to get ice cream in America, but I don't eat it like I eat gelato. You know what I mean? Like ice cream to me is what you eat at home when you're on your couch and you're like eating it out of the, the pint. Gelato is a much more social event. And I think maybe that's why. But gelato, it t- is it also maybe just taste different more for me? I feel that because it's almost in that perpetual state of melting, it's not as cold, which is why you're able to taste the flavors of the gelato more intensely than you could say ice cream. I do think that there's some possibility to do that. I also like that it's just more dense because less air has been churned into it. It does have less fat than ice cream, but ice cream's a foam. Gelato's a foam. Ice cream has a lot of air pumped into it. It's just, it, it's just, again, I'm not a gelato expert. I'm not an ice cream expert. I've eaten a lot and I've worked with some of the very best pastry chefs. I think they almost all to a, to, to a person love making gelato as well. I know Daniel Burns, who we used to work together. He used to be the pastry chef at Noma. I, I think made some of the best gelato in the world. He feels that way. His strawberry gelato is amazing. Again, gelato doesn't have gelatin in it, but a lot of pastry chefs I know put gelatin in their gelato. Anyway, I just think it tastes better. And that's such a weird thing to say because I fucking eat a lot of ice cream too. I just love gelato. And there was some amazing gelato. Oh my goodness. I think not having eggs in the base allows it to actually really highlight the flavor of 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 the ingredient that you're trying to make, right? Whether you're making like a lemon rosemary sorbet, I mean, not sorbet, or a lemon gelato, right? Lemon ice cream. It's not going to taste the same. It's going to be, lemon ice cream is going to be way different because of the eggs. Without the eggs, it's lemon cream. You know what I mean? Where it's, if it's a lemon ice cream, it's going to be lemon egg cream. It's a different thing. Uh, my last hot take, Tuscan bread if you don't know, does, is not made with salt. And I don't like it at all. I just don't. I never have. I work for a chef. I mean, Mark Knorr is from Tuscany and he wasn't the chef. It was one of our friends that worked under him. And I remember him just talking mad shit about Tuscan bread. I never understood why. I don't think any of us had the balls to tell Marco to his face that Tuscan bread was garbage, but it's fucking garbage. It's, it can be extremely well-made, but if it's not made with salt, it just is like, ugh. And I know the idea is maybe you're supposed to eat it with salty salumi or cheese, but that doesn't make any sense. You know, the reason why Tuscan bread, apocryphally speaking, doesn't have salt in it, I think there's a lot of reasons, but basically is it deals with the Pope at the time and put a salt tax on this town in Tuscany that was a influential trading town. Again, I might have this apocryphal story, right? It could be true. I don't know. 
But this is what is like common knowledge to a lot of people in Italy and Tuscan region. And not having salt in their bread is a reminder of like this time period, the struggle, this sort of salt war. I'm just, I don't get it. Just, I would like salt in Tuscan bread. I think the bread can be so good. And every time I eat something, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, doesn't have any salt. <laughs> right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. If you do know what I'm talking about, there's two options. One is you completely disagree with me or two, you're like, yes, I totally agree with you. Tuscan bread could be fucking awesome if it just had salt. Um, last thing, global warming is real. Italy is not supposed to be this hot in, in June. It was sweltering. And I wonder, I keep on wondering myself, what the fuck's going to happen? Um, most people don't travel in August unless you're a student or uh, visiting. There were so many goddamn Americans, and I won't talk about American cultural protocol, but again, it's like, if I, David Chang, as a loud, obnoxious American asshole, can actually be quiet and reserved in another country, anyone can, and be respectful of people. So um, that's one thing. I think um, maybe the heat got Americans that I saw all hot and bothered, but it got fucking hot. And usually going in June, it's not supposed to be this hot, historically speaking. But I do feel that travel things are going to be changing because of temperatures. You know, and it's just something we all have to, to keep in mind. Um, Deeper thoughts that we can talk about at a later date. One is, at this wedding, I feel that the number one conversation I had was, or the one that I remember the most, all of them had to do with psychedelics, psilocybin, microdosing LSD, ketamine. These are friends that I haven't seen in a long time. Many of these friends that I've known for, since my 20s, some of them, I would never have guessed because they're square, very square people. Uh, square, like I thought Michael Pollan was squared, right? The last person you ever think that would do every kind of hallucinogenic under the sun would be Michael Pollan. And you should read his book, How to Change Your Mind. But the fact that more and more people that I personally would never assume take psilocybin would be interested in the health benefits of it, that's when I was like, oh my God, this is a sea change. And you know, listen, in LA for forever, people have been talking about microdosing, less so about New York, but Yes, but now it just seems to be much more common. People that I remember trying to do these drugs with years ago were like, absolutely not, are now genuinely interested in it. I, 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 I have no words as to the sea change that's happening here, but I think it's awesome for a variety of things, but also something that we should be talking a lot more about. I mean... Not too long ago, if you had a bag of mushrooms, you were going to jail for a long fucking time. And now it's something that like is commonplace. That still is boggling my mind. It, it's something that's on the top of my mind because, you know, I don't know if I told this a long time ago on the podcast. I got my 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 like the DNA of my brain decoded, uh, genetics decoded to figure out what medication I should be on and which medications I better process chemically speaking in my brain. One of the things that we found out is like, I am a ketamine responder. I respond extremely well to ketamine. I haven't done it yet. And I don't have the reason why I haven't done it. I have a one of the top doctors. I have the letters. I have everything to be able to do it. And listen, this is like, recreationally like this is right up my alley but i don't i don't know why the older i get the less i'm willing to do these things and the older my friends get who are super conservative at least socially speaking are more willing to do this i don't have an answer for that but i think it's something that i'm going to uh, commit to i'm going to see this as a treatment and i'll let you guys know uh, I just, I think for me, I needed a year. I've had this uh, prescription for almost two years. I haven't done it. And I've been asking myself why, why I, I haven't done it. I think I'm getting closer to just doing it because um, we'll see what happens. And I'll let you guys know how it goes, but I don't ever want to conflate psychedelics with just like fucking around and doing drugs. Clearly something I talk about a lot, but for, my, for me where I'm at, I want it to be done in a, like a really structured guided way. And this is, these are the conversations that are happening. I find it infinitely fascinating that people are talking about mental health, creativity, looking at the world in a new light. I, I genuinely think that I don't know if I'd be as successful today if I didn't do psychedelics in some form or fashion. Anyway, the second deep thought is 
conversation that took place. Many people saw Top Gun Maverick and many people that I was talking to felt it was the best movie they've seen in ages. I think it is a perfect movie. I think we're going to have to have a longer conversation about Top Gun, believe it or not, and its meaning. But I told my wife, uh, we saw it the day we got back. We had, we're back one night. This movie I loved for a variety of reasons. But I left thinking, I want to make food like this movie. I want a restaurant like this movie. The fact that everybody is loving Top Gun, it's this small sort of spectrum, the small window that it hit where almost everybody likes it that I know of. I'm clearly, there's going to be people that fucking hate it. But it's like when you make a dish or you make a song that everybody likes. I'm intoxicated by that concept, that idea. And that's what I mean by that. It's like, how do you do that? How do you craft something that is so perfect that everyone's like, holy fuck, it's so good. That's the food I want to make. That's what I mean. And we'll talk about that another day with Chris and Noel. Well, lastly, guys, I I mentioned at the top of my podcast today that we are going on hiatus for a couple weeks, summer break. I'm going to be on the road a lot. I'm in Atlanta right now. God, I don't even know where the hell I'm supposed to go next. I think uh, I'm in Providence. Um, I like staying home and being a dad. The pandemic has been fucking awful for so many people. The one positive that I've taken out of it is the silver lining for me is that I've got to stay at home and be a dad. And I spent a lot of time with my son and I want to spend as much time with my youngest son as possible. That's that's what I love most, guys. You know, And this travel's been hard. And I think part of the reason why I didn't want to travel so much is that it reminds me too much of my life pre-pandemic. And that's a life that I'm trying not to go back to. I'm wanting to make some changes here. And travel will always be part of my life, but I want it to be less. I want it to be shorter stays. But I also want travel to remind me of the, the wonders out there and to see how connected we are with people and how great culture and life and the positives can be. And also the sadness of the world It's just travel equals humanity. As far as I'm concerned, I see us, you know, doing more media. We have so many projects we have. I'm going to help Momo on a bunch of restaurant projects. So much just quote unquote production is about to happen. You know, I, I, I'm trying to figure this all out and I don't have any answers. All I know is I just want to spend time being a dad and trying to figure out what this new normal is. Um, and I'm a bit worried that uh, if I don't, I'm like, this travel is going to get out of control. Travel for work. You know, I started off talking about travel for travel sake. And now a lot of this is, most of this is travel for work. So I'm grateful and thankful to have these opportunities and the amazing people I get to work with. I think what I wanted to say is I'm not doing this alone anymore. I think that's the revelation to me. Not that I ever was before, but I have my wife, I have my kids, Marguerite, the whole Momofuku team, Noel, Doc, Chris, Chris, Lala, and Jordan, the whole MDM team, everyone in our Discord community, everyone that supports us. So, you know, which is why I'm just sort of telling you the state of affairs where I'm at is, is um, I'm conflicted, right? A lot of travel. Life is changing again, and I feel like I just got into a nice groove being a dad, and I don't want to fuck that up. So anyway, uh, I'm grateful, and I'm trying to meditate on being grateful for all the things that I have and and the things that uh, the people that I get to work with. And, um, you know, I'm a hot mess almost all the time, but uh, I just want to say as we go on hiatus, I'm thankful. I'm going to be on the road a lot more, and I'm trying to figure things out just like everybody is. I really, I just am. I don't have any answers. I am less sure about things than I ever have. And I'm telling you guys that because I think it's okay to not be sure. Uh, everyone assumes, oh, you have everything figured out. I was like, I don't have anything figured out, guys. I'm still figuring it out just like everybody else. The one thing I do know is I want to spend more time being a dad, spending time with my family, having that, you know, part equal parts of my work life and my friend's life. Uh, I, you know, that's something I was talking to an Italian about in Italy. He's like, actually, they're from Albania. You have to have equal pillars of your friend's work and 
family. So that's that's what I'm trying to recalibrate. Hopefully you guys get to take some time off as well. We'll uh, talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Again, July 7th. Talk to you soon.